Good morning, Happy New Year, Merry Christmas. I am preaching a Christmas sermon, though, so we get to st- take a step, uh, take a week back, okay? You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, just go to Romans chapter 1 for now, and you're probably thinking, Romans? It's a Christmas sermon. All right, before we get started, let's pray. God, we thank you that um, you are a good God and that we can sing these songs to you because you're good. Any other small g gods that we have in this life are not good, and they run out, they perish, they run away, they do not provide lasting satisfaction. But you, God, are the one who give ultimate, lasting pure satisfaction. Help us today as we see the implications of your son coming to be a man, to die in our place and rise again. And even now he's seated on on your right hand. God, help us to rejoice in these truths and help us to go out and uh, live, live them out as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does Jesus' incarnation mean to you? What did Jesus' life on this earth do for you? Let's back up a step. What is, what is the incarnation? You know, it's the, the part about Christ that we celebrate at Christmas. It's his coming, God the Son becoming a human. He became a man while remaining fully God, just like he has always been God forever in eternity past. <clears throat> The Incarnation is the event that we celebrate uh, this time of year, a week ago on Christmas Day. And even now, as you take down your tree, you can still, still celebrate these truths. The Incarnation is the event that changed the history of the world, right? You look at our calendar year, it was started based on Christ's birth. So Christ was born roughly 2,023 years ago. Also, the Old Testament ends. There's a period of about 400 years of silence before we have the New Testament. And what does the New Testament come in with? It's the birth of Christ. When we think of the incarnation of Jesus at Christmas or Christmas, we often celebrate it, uh, you know, Christ coming to die for us. And while that is true, I also want to point out today that Jesus did not come just to die for our sins. He also had to live and perfectly keep the law that we could never keep. Jesus came to not only to die, but also to live so he could keep the law that we could not keep. Romans 5.19, you can see it on the slide above me. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So just like Adam ushered in sin for all of mankind, Jesus had to be the one to take away our sin as a man. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus had to become a man to pay for mankind's sin. Jesus had to be God for that payment to have power. So Jesus was the God-man. He was all God, all man, He had both attributes. Without Jesus' life, without without his incarnation, we could not have the gospel. And that's what I want to preach about today. Without the incarnation, we could not be saved from our sins. Without the incarnation, we would be hopeless. 
It's similar to 1 Corinthians 15 that Pastor John preached on a couple months ago about the resurrection, and the resurrection has power. If, if Christ had not risen again, his, his death would have had no value, no power. And without Jesus' incarnation, without his life, his death would not have had power. Sure, he could have come as an adult man down to earth, died for our sins, rose again, and left. But he would not have been able to keep the law from birth all the way up, just like Jesus demands of us. But we could not keep it. We'll see as, as we talk later. A lot of the gospel exposition that we find in the Bible is in the first two-thirds of the book of Romans. This book is written to a church of believers, and I want, I want to point out uh, something that you may have skipped over in your reading of Romans in the past. Um, Romans 1.15, if you look down at that, Romans 1.15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's talking to a church of believers, and he's saying, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. And so I just want to tell you, Crossview Church, I am eager to preach the gospel to you today as well. You, even who are believers, or if you are not a believer, I want to preach the gospel to you today. So Paul lays out the gospel in the beginning of this book of Romans, and then he transitions to how the believer should live as a result. But the book of Ephesians is very similar. The first half is devoted to the doctrine of salvation, and then the last half is how does this play out in the Christian's life. And you're going to see in a lot of these verses that Jesus is central to our salvation. And Jesus had to become a man in order to be central to that salvation. Salvation is accomplished by God through Jesus. In Romans 1 through 11, Jesus is mentioned 30 times in 29 verses. He is central to the gospel. I think, I think you will see it as we, as we go on. The three primary doctrines of salvation, uh, if you just kind of boil it down into real, real small nuggets, would be justification, sanctification, and glorification. And today we're going to look at these three primary doctrines as being why Jesus came to be born, to live, to die, and to rise again. So the three points today, the next slide there, guys. Because of the incarnation, we are justified. Because of the incarnation, we are being sanctified. And because of the incarnation, we will be glorified. Another way to say these three points today is that for those of us who are believers, there are past present, and future implications of Christ's life. So let's now start into the first implication of Christmas, the first implication of the incarnation, our justification. Because of the incarnation, we are justified. Justification is the act of God declaring us righteous because of our faith in Christ's work on our behalf. It is the act of us exchanging our robes of sinfulness for Christ's pure robes of righteousness. You've, you've sung the song, His Robes for Mine. That is the act of justification. We take Christ's pure robes and we give him our dirty ones. It's an exchange that Christ made by coming to die, coming to live, coming to die on the cross for our sins. Like I said, Christ kept the law for us so that we did not have to achieve a standard in order to be justified. Because the only standard that we are held up to against in God's eyes is the law, and we have all fallen short of that law. Romans 3.23 that we'll look at in a minute says, for all have sinned. James 2 says that if any man falls in one part of the law, he has fallen according to all of it. So we are all sinners, and we all need 
justification. So as believers, justification is a done deal for us at the time that we believe that we put our faith and repentance in Christ. We do not have to do anything to earn this today. It is a done deal. So turn over to Romans 3, and we'll see this more fully. Romans 3, we're going to read verses 21 through 28. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, again, the centrality of Jesus in the gospel, for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. What does that mean? We could spend a whole sermon or a whole sermon series on this passage. But essentially what this is saying is God's law had to be appeased. And we could not appease God's law because we could not keep it. So what had to happen is Jesus had to come live and die for our sins so that this law could be appeased. And notice it says God didn't throw away his justice to make us just by, you know, giving us righteousness that we could not appease, appeal to. Um, but God stayed just because he took his just wrath out on Christ for our sins. Also, because of the incarnation, Christ was also able to accomplish the following for us at the point of salvation in the past for those of us who have already believed. You see here above me, Roman, uh, we are redeemed. You can see this in the in the chapter 6 of Romans, where it talks about how we are no longer slaves to sin. Jesus has redeemed us from the marketplace of sin to be slaves to righteousness now that we are believers. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Secondly, we are reconciled to God. Turn over to Romans 5. Romans 5, verses 8 through 11. But God shows his love for us in that we were still sinners. Pastor John describes this as while we were still shaking our fist at God, God loved us. He died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by, his de- by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation is that act of God being at peace with us. How many of you have had something between you and another human being this past week and maybe you still need to work it out, or maybe it's been worked out. But how many of you have had something between you and another person this week? Okay, and if you don't have your hand raised, you're probably lying. Um, 
So all of us have these human interactions, right? And because we're sinners, we have to sometimes reconcile ourselves with each other. We have to say, hey, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Yes, I'm, you're forgiven. Um, and Christ made that reconciliation between us and God. The highest authority in the world between us, we are now reconciled because of Christ's work. Next, we are also adopted. Next, we are also adopted. Romans eight fourteen through 17. Romans eight fourteen through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. How much um, sonship does Christ the Son have? He is currently seated at, the, seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And we, as believers, have that same privilege, the same rights as Christ the Son has, we have, because we have been adopted. A powerful truth. John 1.12 also says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let me uh, also tell, say, uh, A.W. To- Tozer said, Jesus Christ knows the worst about you. Nonetheless, he is the one who loves you most. Again, Jesus Christ knows the worst about you. Nonetheless, he is the one who loves you most. Look at the end of Romans 8, verse 31 through 39. Powerful truths in here. Um, about nothing can separate us from God's love. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. For those of us who are believers, this is a done deal. You don't have to do anything to, uh, to achieve God's justification. It's done. So if Jesus had not come to earth, we would not be justified. But because he has come to earth, we who have believed are justified. And as believers, Christ is all, now also accomplishing sanctification in our lives. So point number two, because of the incarnation, we are being sanctified. Sanctification is the act of God through Christ in which he makes us more holy. Many believers believe or at least think or act that they can achieve God's favor or that they can achieve sanctification on their own. And many of us, uh, we could raise hands, but again, there's no point in raising hands because everybody should raise their hand. We all try to achieve sanctification on our own. 
but it cannot be done. Romans 7.18 says, uh, No good thing lies with, dwells within me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. No good thing lies within any of us. Romans, uh, sorry, Isaiah 64.6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. 1 John 1, 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Even as believers, we still have sin. And Chris Anderson uh, likes to say, We are not the good people. Even as believers, we are not the good people. But Christ, uh, God through Christ's work is making us more and more holy. We not only need Christ for our justification, we also need Christ for our sanctification. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, who is the vine, we can do nothing. Hebrews two seventeen and 18 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Christ helps us in our sanctification. And following are three ways that Christ specifically helps us. Christ, number one, is our motivation for sanctification. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, some beloved verses of mine, talk about how God's love through Christ is what motivates us to be holy. You see, once we're sinners, we're all sinners, sorry. So once we're saved, guilt no longer has a place in the believer's life. If you are made guilty, it's either your conscience or Satan condemning you. And Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Let's turn over there. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. So guilt turns us to the fact that we cannot keep the law, that we have not kept the law. God's love points us to the fact that we need him for sanctification. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, Some translations translate this as compel or constrain. The love of Christ controls, compels, constrains us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Christ's love is our motivation for sanctification. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, another passage talks about how because Christ emptied himself by becoming a human, we too can look on the needs of others. Um, It says, uh, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's his incarnation. But emptied himself, because he had to become a man, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 also talks about how Jesus helps us in our sanctification because he is a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Christ is our motivation for sanctification. Next, he's also our example of sanctification. In Matthew 4, 1 through 11, we read of Jesus' temptation and how he handled it biblically. Every temptation that Jesus was dealt with by by the devil, what did he do in response? He quoted scripture. And that's how we are to fight uh, the sin in our life um, as God helps us through sanctification. John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So Christ is our example of sanctification. Next, Christ is also our mediator. Christ is our mediator. Romans 8.34, the passage we just looked at, if you want to turn back to it, Romans 8.34, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. 1 Timothy 2.5, There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And remember, he had to become a man in order to do all of this, to do his work for us. And then 1 John 1, uh, 8, we read that a minute ago. If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You know, and then 1 John 1, 9, the beloved verse that many of us cling to, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then most of us kind of stop there. We don't continue reading. But if you continue reading past verse 10 and into uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, but uh, I, write, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So Christ is our mediator. Christ also does uh, the following things. He's with us. Matthew one twenty three, a, a verse we quote a lot this time of year. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christ is also with us when we are lonely. Um, we close out, he closes out the Great Commission verses by saying, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I love, it. I love the Great Commission. We often just kind of focus on the command in the Great Commission. But the Great Commission starts out with saying, You have power because of me, and then it ends by saying, you have comfort because I'm always with you. Christ is always with us. And when we're weary, what are we told, what did Jesus tell us to do? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden 
his light. That's found in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. So we need, we need Christ to be declared righteous in the past and for being made righteous currently. We also need Christ to have hope or confidence for glorification in the future. So because of the incarnation, we will be glorified. Glorification is the last stage. This is a quote from a dictionary. Glorification is the last stage in the process of salvation, namely the resurrection of our bodies at the second coming of Jesus Christ and the entrance into the eternal kingdom of God. In glorification, believers attain complete conformity to the image and likeness of the glorified Christ and are freed from both physical and spiritual defect. Glorification ensures that believers will never again experience bodily decay, death, illness, and will never again struggle with sin. Isn't that exciting? We should all be looking forward to that day. So um, we're to have confidence in our future glorification because of the incarnation. So, and that breaks down into two aspects. We can have confidence in final victory over sin in our glorified body, and we can also have confidence that God will win final victory over the world. So first of all, have confidence in final victory over sin in your glorified body. The sin that we wrestle with every day that Paul talks about in Romans 7, where he's saying, I wish I could do this, but I don't do this, and I wish I didn't do this, but I do it anyways. Um, that struggle that we all face uh, through sanctification. John 3.16, one of the first verses many of us have probably ever heard, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 6.23, The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.28-30, And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Notice that's a past verb. It means it's a done deal. God is saying, this is just as good as if I've I've done it, because he's already done all the work for it. We just have to be patient for it to come and take place in our lives. Next, have confidence that God will win the final victory over this world. Have confidence that God will win the final victory over this world. You can look around your, around us. You can see the sin in this world. You can see the politics. You can see the inflation. You can see all the uncertainty. But in the end, God wins. Um, I quoted a, a minute ago, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and that, verse, that last verse there states, <clears throat> Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Other translations will say will bow. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus will win final victory over this world. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Romans eleven thirty six. 
at the end of Paul talking about all of these great salvation truths, he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. Hebrews 10, 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So because of the incarnation, we who have believed are justified. Because of the incarnation, we are being sanctified. And because of the incarnation, we will be glorified. To God be the the glory for what he has done for us in Christ's life and in Christ's death and in Christ's resurrection. So how do you you, uh, go from here in this new year and apply these truths? First of all, if you have not believed in Jesus, repent and believe today. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll stick around for a little while afterwards. I'm sure Pastor John, anyone else here, would be glad to talk to you about how you can know for certain today that you have eternal life, that you will have that hope of future glorification and be free from sin. Secondly, have confidence in your standing before the Father because of Christ. So for those of us who, believe, who are believers, we can have confidence that our justification is a done deal. Third, pursue righteousness because of his love for you displayed on the cross. Don't pursue righteousness because you don't stand up to the law. No, you don't stand up to the law, but you're justified. You are, you are declared righteous. So because of that, turn and love. Remember the parable that Jesus told about uh, um, who loves more, the one who's forgiven more. So pursue righteousness because of Christ's love for you. And then lastly, have confidence in God's final victory over sin in your life and over the world. God, we thank you for Christ. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you that Jesus came to live, to keep the law that we could not keep, to die the sin that we could not die for our sins. And thank you that because of that, we we have hope both now and for the future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.